0: Uh, you want that guy in your corner, right? I I know Kyle gets a lot from his height, but man, he, he's like he's like the, the man I want to be like. But I'll never get that tall, so I quit growing a little while back. Uh, hey, uh, thanks, Kyle, for letting me say that. <laughs> oh, man. Don't you love it when people walk by and go, wow, you're tall? What do you say to that? Like, thank you, or... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love it. Well, this morning we're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. And what an awesome book the book of Ephesians is. There they are. And uh, we're, we're just into the first chapter. If you've joined us for the, the last uh, few Sundays, we started the book of Ephesians at the beginning of the month. And we're going to keep going through it until we're done. And so verse by verse... Hopefully somebody handed you a journal this morning, and these journals are something that has a lot of the the stuff of Epic Life in them, but also uh, they have uh, places to take notes, uh, places to write things down so that you can come back next week and add to those notes, because we're not just going some topic to some different topic, we're going through the, the book of Ephesians, and hopefully you can add notes to your notes. And then... Perhaps take them home and talk about them with your friends, with your family, with whoever it is, and, and uh, just encourage one another like that. And so I'm really excited. This passage is phenomenal. It's so, so good. I hope you've, you've learned to fall in love with the Bible, the Word of God to us. If, uh, if you know the other letters that, that Paul has written, he's written he, he wrote a lot of them, Ephesians kind of looks like some of the other letters. Even though they were written years apart. And, uh, and it's pretty evident that Paul wrote them years apart. But he says some of the same things. It's because he's always teaching. He's always teaching people. He's always helping them see and understand what's, um, what their newfound faith really is. and so. I would love to read the entire first chapter here, but I'm just not going to be able to with time. I hope you go back and read the first chapter. And then throughout these months that we're we're talking about the book of Ephesians, that you just read the entire book. Read the whole thing. Come back maybe the next week and read it again. There's something about reading something over and over and over that you actually kind of start understanding it more. Here's what. Here's what happens. Our hearts that we really want, our hearts to engage with an idea, something is required. It's for our, it's like our soul needs to receive it and accept it and understand it. It's kind of like the eyes, if you will, of our heart need to be open so that our heart changes. If we just read through something and it's not connecting to our heart, to our soul, uh, we're kind of doing ourselves a disservice. Maybe even teaching ourselves to read without comprehending, to read without allowing it to change us. And so I encourage us to read this over and over and over throughout these months to really understand the book of Ephesians. So if you want to stand with me, kind of in honor of God's word, if you're able to stand, please do. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 15 through 23. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New Living Translation, although throughout the sermon, I'm going to bring in a couple other translations and ideas. So, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom, And insight so that you might grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people who are rich and glorious in his glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus, raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with him. Father God, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, when we read your scripture, that we will take it with a depth, a seriousness, Lord, understanding it's a word to us. So thank you, thank you for the writing that Paul wrote to the people at the city of Ephesus. And I thank you that what it meant to them can mean the same to us years later. Lord, it's such a privilege to be part of your church and to see what you're doing among and inside of this neighborhood and what you're doing through Epic Life because we know who we are before you, because we have a confident hope in you. I thank you that we're able to engage in the city in a remarkable way, Lord. And I pray that you would just open those doors up, open those spaces up so that we can do that more. But Lord, this morning, help us to know who we are so that we can be confident and live confidently. Lord, I pray that long after people forget who I am, they'll remember who you are, and they'll remember your word. And so we trust in you, we trust in your word, and with with a bit of fear and timidity, I come before you to, to preach, although you've given the Spirit this morning, so we'll do that with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. This is a wonderful chapter. The whole chapter is is so wonderful. It's so uh, powerful, and there's so much um, integrity for our spiritual lives in it. And so um, this is going to help us to know God better, but also help us to know ourselves better, to understand who we are better. We can turn each, my prayer is that we can turn each truth that we know about God into a a meditation about who, when we, we can know God, not just about God, but know God, understand who He is. When Christine and I got married, we knew each other, and then we became one, and now we know each other even more daily, over and over and over. I can ask a lot of you do you know the president, Donald Trump? All of you know him, you know him by name. Do you know him? Are you friends with him? Do you have an intimate relationship with him where you know his thoughts and his understanding? I don't know if anybody does. pause (laughs) this the scriptures we want the scriptures to to help us not just know of God but to know God through spiritual wisdom and revelation and so here we are we're understanding this in verse 15 I'm literally going to go verse by verse here and unpack this and then go back into the verse 1 through 14 a little bit as well So here's Paul. And he starts this, Ever since I first heard about your strong faith. Ever since Paul first heard. And so we go back to the beginning, and we realize that Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. He's writing to this church that he was part of. He knows these people. He uh, was probably part of a lot of them coming to know Jesus as Savior. And in the first few verses, we learned, uh, the last few weeks, we've learned that God has adopted us into his family. And we saw this this, uh, example of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus uh, what Tiki just showed us here, this um, beautiful testimony about who she is. We have been adopted into his family. At the beginning of this chapter, we realize there's two words. There are two legal worms, justification and adoption. They're two legal words about family and about rightness. We're adopted. We become legal uh, sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And at the same time, we are justified. We are made right. How are we made Right by the things that we do, that we came and were looking for a dad to adopt us, that we were trying to do good things. No, we weren't made right by those things. That's an impossibility. That's what every other religion on the earth teaches. We were made right because God made us right. And and the scriptures actually point to something that confuses Christians. And that is this idea of predestination, which we're going to get into as we go through this scripture. It actually says that he chose you. It's not very nice for Christians to run out to the world and people who don't know Christ and say, hey, I'm chosen. You're not. Ha ta- <laughs> uh, That's not really nice. We talk about the chosenness, the predestination, if you will, predetermined idea about God choosing us before the foundations of the earth because it says it here. But also we talk about the inside of our Christian family, as we understand God. At the same time, we realize that as we believed, so as we mix together the predestination and the choosing of God for us and us believing in Him, we mix that together. God comes up, and He not only adopts us, he justifies us and He stamps us with the Holy Spirit. He gives us proof that we are His. And last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about the, the Holy Spirit and that stamping. Um, like, like Jesus wrote his name on the bottom of our foot. If you've seen Toy Story 4, this, this ownership. That he's like He's He has purchased our freedom. He has purchased us, and we are now his. Not only are we sons and daughters, we have an heir. We, are, we have the inheritance of the king. We have been made right before him, but we are also now stamped with the Holy Spirit. And what Tiki was saying is beautiful. That testimony is beautiful because in her soul, in her young soul, she has realized that the Holy Spirit is there helping her and pushing her and encouraging her to be baptized, testifying in front of the church. That's the spirit of God at work in a young life. So, so beautiful. So Christ, in verse 7, purchased our freedom, chosen, adopted, and then identified, stamped with Christ. We were identified for Purpose. And I pray that this passage then will show us even more and give us more confidence of who we are. I believe that if we understand, the conf- we understand confidently who we are, we're able to live in confidence as well. Without the fear and trembling that the people, humanity around us, given. without thinking, oh, I better not say anything, do anything, step into that, that God's calling me, step across that line of fear and into the miraculous, into the unknown. I better not do that because... But if we know who we are, we're able to step into those places where the miraculous exists. We're evil, even able to deal with intense hardship in our lives and make it through it because we know who we are. Men and women, you are the sons and the daughters of the king of the universe if you have given your life to Christ this morning. You have a hope. You have a foundation. If you don't know Christ this morning, there's a a there's soft ground. You're standing on sinking, soft, sandy ground, and it, you can feel it. There's no hope. There's no security in that. So Paul is writing to, um, to holy people. He's writing to the church. I'm just going to talk about this word uh, that he uses, and it's actually um, in verse <clears throat> 18, He says, his holy people who are rich and glorious in inheritance. And he also says in the beginning that he's writing to God's holy people, to the people of the church. I'm writing ever since I heard of your strong faith in verse 15 in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. And so that word people is actually the word saint. It's it's this word saint. And we translate it into the word people, uh, maybe uh, uh, men and women, church, church but it's really the word saint and that word saint is very very important for the evangelical church for the for the church to understand and i say that and you'll understand why in just a moment the word saint is, is really uh, talking, it's, a, it's always used in the scriptures, it's always used as a plural word, except for one time, but the, the words around it make it plural as well. So it's always talking about a group of people that have been set apart. The word saints, or that word people, is really this word uh, that talks about a group of people set apart for the Lord, for his kingdom, and who re- retain godly character. Paul is writing to saints. In some uh, uh, faith backgrounds, in the Christian faith, uh, saints are only people who have died, and uh, miracles can be attributed to them, and then they are sainted by um, leaders of the church. and And saints are only in heaven, but the scriptures really point that that does not exist in the scriptures. The scriptures point out that saints are on earth and in heaven. In fact, as we as Christ followers, we are all saints. Um, We are not canonized by a pope, by a bishop, but by Christ at our rebirth. Every Christian on earth and in heaven are called saints. Saints will gather around us. The people who have have passed away now who are in heaven, saints are gathered around us praying for us and looking on us. And we then are saints here on earth uh, that God has set apart. And actually the word means set apart, set apart. You could do an entire study. In fact, I encourage you, if you're part of a small group or a house church, to do a study on the word saint in the Bible. It's a fantastic study. You understand who you are and what. when Paul writes about the church, who he's writing to. He's writing to people of God, saints, set apart, sanctified. You're holy now. Not just holy some, at some point. You're holy now. In fact, it talks about justification. Saints have been justified, have been made right Before God, holy now and in our eternity, we will also be those saints. So that's who Paul's writing to. He's writing to a a different set of people, this different group of people, this church, the saints, the people of God. Um, In in the city of Ephesus, there was the temple of Artemis or the temple of uh, Diana which was a, a worshiping temple uh, to the goddess Diana. Uh, she was, uh, a, a, there was a lot of uh, pros- prostitution in the, the temple, a lot of kind of immoral and debased uh, behavior, but a lot of it was the city of Ephesus was the epicenter of Diana, and people worshiped Diana. And at the end of this passage, Paul's going to say something different about who to worship and who's over who. But at the time... Perhaps when we talk about saints, saints are this word that only saints live in temples. Saints are set apart, kind of like temples. They're purified. And we have come to know and understand that humans, Christians, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we have been set aside, purified, so that the Holy Spirit could dwell within us. So that the Holy Spirit could engage with us. So here he is, speaking to saints. Paul is saying, All this stuff. And now, in verse 15, he's going to start this prayer. It could be a prayer he's praying, or he's just letting people know how he's praying. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. Isn't that a great... Don't you want to be known for something? Your love for God's people everywhere. You want to be known for something? Be known for generous love. That should be the, the mantra that people outside the church speak about the church. Is it? <laughs> so he pauses here, and he says, this I know of you. I've heard of your love for God's people everywhere. So he says, I've, I've not stopped thanking God for you, and I pray for you Constantly. I kind of think when Paul says, I pray for you constantly, that he's probably praying for them constantly. Unlike sometimes we say, Hey, I'm going to pray for you, and then we forget about it until the next time we see them, and they're like, Hey, I want to tell you about an update. Yeah, I've been praying for you. Mm forget and so I think Paul maybe he meant that he's praying for him constantly I can imagine Paul maybe in his prison cell maybe because he didn't have anything else to do but write letters and pray that he was praying and he was remembering these people and he's thinking to them wow think about the love they have I just heard that they have they have given um, a lot of of goods and helps to the to the people in Jerusalem to the poor uh, the love that these people have is phenomenal that can only come from the Holy Spirit and so he's praying for them he's Actually, praying for them. And so in verse 17, he starts talking about this prayer and and helping them understand what he's praying. I'm praying, I'm asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge. Spiritual wisdom and insight. Ah, that is so beautiful. The word spiritual wisdom is actually the Greek word Sophia. So if you know somebody named Sophia, they're named after wisdom, the word wisdom, this idea of, 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 of knowing, of insight, of, of realization, of maybe not just knowledge, but understanding something deeper that it moves our soul and we can look at something and remove the veil. And sometimes we, we just see things and we just are knowledgeable about things. But the, when the veil is removed, it kind of changes how we act and how we behave and the way we interact with others, right? right? And so this, this word Sophia, or the word wisdom, is linked together with the word revelation or apocalypse, right? That's the, that's the Greek word is apocalypse. And so which really means an unveiling, a knowing, knowing what was unknown, an insight into things. I'm asking God, I'm praying to the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom, not just man's wisdom, but spiritual wisdom driven by the Holy Spirit and insight that you may grow into your knowledge of God. And that insight is actually revelation and understanding and unveiling of what was unknown. Have any of you wanted in your life to know just a little bit more? And, and you look at things like there's a veil across it and, and something's behind there and it's kind of fuzzy and it feels like life is kind of this fuzzy thing that you're, you're kind of tripping into and it's fuzzy. And Paul is praying for us praying for the church that we would we would the veil would be taken away and we would understand God clearer. Now the point the fact is, is that we're never going to completely understand God. He is God. He is a perfect um, creator of the universe we will never completely understand him but we will by the spirit of God understand more often when we're reading the Bible I don't know about you but Sometimes when I'm sitting down, I'm reading this and talking through something. Maybe Christine and I are talking by the fire in the morning with a cup of coffee and maybe reading a passage and, and, and she'll say something about the passage and I'll go, oh my goodness, what? That is so good. I, I've read this, I don't know how many times, and all of a sudden something turned and it was like, I understand this so differently. I think that's what Paul was praying for. This understanding, not just knowing about God, but knowing God. God. If I might give you a peek into our family a little bit. Um, on Friday night, um, we were so blessed. And uh, in that blessing, uh, Cody had an, uh, a major accident with the car. And uh, a, another uh, individual ran a stoplight, a stop sign, and Cody was turning, ran the stop sign at about 35, 40 miles an hour, head-on collision, um, destroyed both cars, and uh, we're so blessed because both of them walked out of it. And so blessed because of how it hit, and the, the point of impact was a place where the most energy could to go into the cars and keep them going instead of just a head on dead stop type of impact. And uh, they both walked out of the car police and fire department, and everything. Yes, my 1984 Honda Prelude with 50,000 miles on it is destroyed. Moment of science. <laughs> so, anyway, Cody's fine. So, um, nah, but. But we, we got to tie it. he had bruised his knee a bit, and, uh, and the blessing of it is of looking at the blessing of it. There's an amazing blessing of it because of the point of impact and how it worked. But I bring that up right here because um, we got the, the individual who ran into Cody, an uh, uh, international student from China, been in America for a year, really didn't know what to do with the system. What, what do you do once you get in an accident? What do you do? What's next, right? He's standing on the side of the road. And the, his car's being towed away. And I'm going, are you calling your parents? Are you calling a friend? Where are you going? He goes, I, I don't know. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> and so we got to actually take him home um, and talk with him. And I got to share in the car with him, right? Because I'm like, hey, this is the opportunity. God's just given this person to sit next to me in this car, right? I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And I started talking to him about God. And he goes, I know God. I'm like, oh, Chinese student, he knows God. That's interesting to me. He goes, most people in China don't know God. In fact, most religion in China, I think, is illegal. But I know God. I'm like, what do you mean you know God? He goes, I know. I know there is a God. It, it seems likely to me, looking at the world, that there has to be a God. I know there is a God. That just stirred in my soul. Like, oh, he knows there's a God. He, he's looking around, coming from an atheist country. He's looking around, and he, he knows there's a God. It's obvious to him. Then I started talking to him about God. And very obvious, he didn't know God. He knew of him, but he didn't know him. What a great conversation it was. As I got to tell him and help him to know that, we number one, we're not mad at him. Uh, Things are okay. It's going to work out. It'll be fine. We'll we'll get things straightened out. It's all right. Um, I'm probably going to help him at some point in the future. Help him share the accident with his father in China because he doesn't know how to do that, scared to death. Anyway, I'm praying that we're able to speak with him more, getting to talk to him about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus, and things were stirring in him. He, and I could see him going from knowing about God to wait, if I know about God, can I know God? I Men and women, you can know God. To the point that he affects you, gives you spiritual wisdom and insight, revelation, understanding what's not known, so that you may know God. Knowing who he is is vastly different from knowing about him personally. Oh, more and more. There's so much opportunity for Bible study in that idea, too, about knowing God. The knowledge expands into action and personal pursuit of more and more, that insight, that wisdom that it gives us. So he keeps going in verse, chapter, or verse 18. He's talking about this prayer. I'm, I'm praying for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow, grow up, In the knowledge of God. If you're asking yourself, I feel like I'm not growing in in, in my Christian walk. I feel like I'm not growing closer to God. Um, Perhaps it's because we're not stepping into that. So, So Paul is praying for spiritual wisdom and insight. I'm praying that for us as a community. Spiritual wisdom and insight, understanding, growing up in the knowledge of God. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those of you who he called. Um, Many of your translations actually says, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart, right? Some of your says that. uh, Or the light will, will come in. Hearts will be flooded. The eyes of your heart. So Paul is taking this idea, the physical eyes and the physical heart, except everywhere the word cardia, the Greek word heart is used in the New Testament. There's eighty times. Every time, um, uh, it's, I'm sorry. There's eight hundred times. A little different. Eight hundred times that the word cardia is used. It's, it's, it's very seldom is talking about the actual physical heart. It's talking about this, this place, the soul, this this place of understanding, of realization, this place of of changing, uh, a place where, where we are burdened, um, things, things kind of sit in our heart, our soul, right? And so he's talking about the physical eyes connecting with the soul, the things we see connecting with the soul. And so Paul is praying that, as the New Living Translation says, that the, uh, the, our, our hearts would be flooded with light, Christ's light, so that we can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he's called, his holy people, his saints, who are his rich and glorious inheritance, his saints. So that place, that center of thoughts, passions, desires, hopes, our appetites, our affections, our purposes, that heart spot would, would stop being on shaky ground but have a, have a confident hope, a, a place to stand on. You'll understand this confident hope. Hope in, in chapter 2, verse 12, he goes on to explain this a little more than this verse. In those, days, in those days before you knew Christ as Savior, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you didn't even know the covenanted promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And this hope is a very, it, it's an important thing for Christians. We need to understand that the hope that is in the New Testament is about, oh, I wish, I hope is going to happen. I hope this lottery ticket is going to come to fruition. I hope that this thing is going to, you know, this, this hope thing. I wish, I wish, I wish. That's not what he's talking about. The word hope is never used like that, actually. It's always this confident, this sure expectation this, this confident hope that I know this is going to happen so my path to it can be full of confidence, right? I know this is going to happen. My path to it is full of confidence. Instead of people who don't know Christ, those who, are, who were excluded because they didn't understand, hadn't been introduced to Jesus yet, they didn't know the hope, and so their path to the in thing was sketchy. <laughs> was wavering. There was no expectant hope, joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. This is the difference. You know the. Um, I'm I'm really right now in in just this world. I'm really having a difficult time with entertainment, and not because I'm addicted to entertainment because but because I see what entertainment is doing to us. And it's just in the past hundred years, really, that this entertainment thing, and when I say about entertainment, I'm not just talking about movies. If it was only about movies, right? It's this right here, constantly. Const- just constant um, entertainment, constantly. And it's, it's really, I'm really seriously concerned for our world, for our, our humanity, Constantly entertained so that we take this constant entertainment right here. Constantly, we don't do great things, wonderful things. We have dreams and visions, but we can't get past this constant in- entertainment right here. It's blocking us away from so much, it's separating us from so much from people, right? Constant. And it's kind of, there's something in me that's like, ah, oh, I. I hate this. At the same time, I, I love to know what's going on in the world. I love to interact with other people. I, I'm drawn to to um, entertainment. I'm drawn to that. But this, part of the reason that it, it concerns me is when the Bible talks about an eternal hope, that we have an eternal hope of salvation, we are, our minds are a bit adulterated because of the entertainment we watch that have, has in, in the uh, In the pursuit of entertainment, we have a fictitious world talking about eternity where our minds now are going into this world that eternity is just fiction. It's just a movie. The fantastic things about God, movie after movie after movie after movie, right, is a fictitious future world of eternity. And I'm worried that passages like this, that we are looking at the Bible and he's saying, um, a confident hope of an eternity can kind of hit us, well, eh, I mean, maybe. Maybe it's all about us living here now. Maybe it's just about what I can feel and engage with here and now. And that, that, that eternity, perhaps it's there, perhaps it's not. It seems like a fiction. It seems weird. It seems made up. And it's only within the last, I don't know, hundred years that this thing is becoming more and more and more, because there's so much um, grabbing at our senses. So I want to encourage us as we as we let our kids watch stuff, as we watch stuff ourselves, and engage in in fiction, in entertainment, that we keep in the back of our mind a couple things: what what this is. Um, blocking us off from achieving what God's calling us to, maybe, but also just that that mental um, dance that's going on in our head about the, the reality of the hope of eternity, eternal salvation with Christ, that there is a, a real eternal salvation in Christ. And if we believe in the word of God, that's what it says over and over and over. At the end of this, it talks about his holy people are his rich and glorious inheritance. And In that passage, um, scholars kind of go back and forth with, is this God's, uh, the inheritance, uh, that we are Jesus's inheritance, or is it about our inheritance? And it could be both ways. Uh, Both ways actually make sense for us, and we are the inheritance of him. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. I just want to hit these two verses really clearly for us so that we can live differently. If we have been identified with purpose, we can live in confidence. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. The incredible greatness of God's power. What power is that? What power is that? Is it the creative power of the universe? Is it the power for him to speak to us? Is it the power of the Holy Spirit to commune with us? Um, what is this great power, the, the greatest power, the greatest power? Well, here, here it is. The greatest power, which we don't even understand how great this power is. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. He used the word Christ very pointedly there, not Jesus Christ is, means uh, Messiah, the Messiah who came for us, who died at the right time, shed his blood for us, and then was raised again. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is an incredibly important um, sentence, these two sentences. If you want to memorize something, memorize this. Get it into your mind so that you can walk and understand the power we have in Christ that it was the immense great power to raise Jesus from the dead and then have him ascend to be with God the the connection between the physical and spiritual and eternal world that great power is phenomenal and beyond what we can even imagine it was a great power that God had to exert. He exerted this power. Like, like God had to, that like he stepped in and worked in this power and this power to raise Jesus from the dead, to do the, the miraculous, to do something un- unbelievable, to engage the spiritual world with the physical world and turn it into something beautiful and send God and send Jesus to God's right hand. This is an intense power, an intense power that he did for the Messiah. That same power is somehow alive in us and all of us sit here going, "Hmm," because we can't comprehend this power. We can barely comprehend a risen Savior, but that kind of power being part of us—what could that even mean? How could that even? How could I even live life in that power? Wouldn't that just completely wreck me? Or, or I don't even understand what does it mean for my next steps in life? What is that power? That power is is made perhaps unknown to us. Perhaps uh, something that is, when it, when it said to us, we're not going to completely understand or comprehend, or perhaps we can't. Acts 2, verse 24, talks about this. Um, sitting on God's right hand. Acts 2, 24. Um, This is talking about Jesus. Um, With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed Jesus to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Death itself isn't even powerful enough to keep Jesus. We understand the greatest power against us on earth, the greatest power, the greatest thing we fear is death. It's the greatest power. It is final, right? It's final. It's done. You die, you're done. I don't know anybody who they've died, and a week later, they weren't done. It, it's, you're di- you die, you're done. Of course, we bring people back to life, supposedly, within a few minutes or something like that. But, but death is that, that great thing that we are afraid of, right? It's the, the great thing. And Jesus is saying, you don't even have to, or, God, or Paul is saying, you don't even have to be afraid of death that that death was weak compared to God's power who raised Jesus from the dead. It took a lot to raise him from the, from the dead. But that same power belongs to us. His work through us, through the church, and even more through the church. Think of the, the power and the effectiveness that we can have as a church in our community and in our world because of the body of Christ. It is personal as well. When God calls us into something, if we know the end point, there's no way we can fail as we step towards that end point if he's called us to do that. How many of us sit back and are afraid of failure? We're afraid of of losing it all, afraid of not having enough money, afraid of somebody rejecting us, afraid of death. And we don't step into the power that God has given to us. Well, Verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, us, the saints. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere. We are no longer weak. We are powerful in Christ. And Christ is now sitting at the right hand of God Um, Calvin says that Christ was invested with the Lord over heaven and earth and entered into the possession of the government that he um, was committed to him. Not only once, but he continues in it until he comes down on judgment day. That Christ stands on the the right-hand side. What what does it mean that Christ is on the right-hand side of, of God? That means he's working in us. Scripture says that he's working in us. From the right hand, that, that there's a, a finality that he has, he, has, he has done the work that was necessary, and there's a finality he's working in us, and that he's interceding for us. He's praying, he's, he's interceding, praying to God, being next to God, interceding for us, and he's advocating for us. Men and women, if you ever need uh, to, to help yourselves get out of a sinful behavior or addiction, remember that God is, Jesus is advocating for us, basically saying, hey, I've paid the penalty for that sin. You are no longer guilty of that sin. I've paid the penalty for that. Step away from that because of the grace that God gives you, because of Jesus's advocacy for us. And number four, he's doing, he's preparing a place for us. He's saying it is finished. On the right hand of God, it's it's a symbol of being done. It's the highest favor of God, the power and the sovereignty of the throne of David. He is the king, our allegiance. As men and women of God, we can walk into a confident hope, a confident hope because of the power that we have within us. But what does that have to do with our lives, right? What does that have to do with day by day? Because that's where we live, right? We live in this day-by-day thing. If, if life wasn't so daily, it would be a lot easier, right? You wake up ne- the next morning, and it's like, ah, I just woke up yesterday morning and made coffee and sat by the fire and took the dog out. It seems like this is happening again and again and again. And it's so daily. It's just this daily thing. And, and it's so, like, it's taxing on the soul, isn't it? How many of you feel that? Taxing, daily taxing, right? So what does this mean to our daily lives? I really think if we can step into this without this happening, that we can step beyond it and understand the confident hope that we have, it changes every single conversation we have with people. It changes every single action we take in this life. Because we know the end point. We're not afraid to this, this place. I've said this a lot. Many of us aren't willing to step across the line of fear. We want to see the miraculous in our world. We want to see that power of the Holy Spirit. But the fact is, as long as we're back here and we're standing on the ground that we've created and we're tilling this soil and we're working this place and it's all firm and I know I can take care of this, the miraculous and the power of God isn't really necessary in our lives. The miraculous what we want to see is when we step beyond this place, we step out even in fear, we step beyond the place and step into what God's calling us to and then we're we're. We're relying on the power and the miraculous of God. We're stepping out, right? It's that bridge of faith, if you will. What can a church do when they're relying on the power of God? Well, a church like Epic Life can be part of changing an entire city. When I say that to people or I say stuff like, I want to be part of a church that's changing the the roughest street in the city, Aurora Avenue and people are like good luck with that like i'm not we can't do it ourselves we need the power of god to do something like that and it's the power of god will give us relationships with people. will connect some dots. We'll bring this person over. We'll bring this pe- person in. We'll help the city to see that this is a good thing. We'll help other people partner with us. We'll give us energy and excitement and, and a push and ideas and wisdom and revelation to step into something that God is doing already with other churches in the city and, and letting us be part of it. And we will literally be able to look back and go, look how God changed an entire city, maybe the Northwest itself, through a small community of committed people for the glory of God. That just, that keeps me up at night. That makes me look at a wreck, an accident, and find a way to share the gospel with somebody. Because that kid is going to share the gospel with his parents in a country. (laughs) There's going to be opportunity. Ah, I'm just looking forward to that. It's so exciting. Father God, um, I know when, when we talk about you and we talk about this hope, there's so many emotions that kind of go into our, our, our minds and our soul. And some of them are because we're coming out of really tough, rocky places and, and we don't know what to do with it, Lord. And, and it hurts and it feels like you've let us down. And some of us don't know what to do with this, this revelation or this idea of this eternal hope and confidence because we don't know what our next step is in life. It's not because we're negative or fearful necessarily. We're just kind of, we just don't quite know. And some of us, Lord, are just ready to go and just want you to just get behind us and push us a little bit. Maybe push us over that edge. Uh, Lord, wherever we're coming from, I, I just pray that we would be around people who can encourage us, who can support us, who can walk beside us like a community, a body of Christ that we have here this morning even. I pray that in the tough times that we would see, we, we would know that you're at work, that you, you haven't disowned us. We're still adopted and justified even in the garbage, even in these dark places. We're still adopted and made right before you and have been stamped with the Holy Spirit for this eternal hope. And I pray that, in, and Lord, I pray that we would know to really grasp an eternal hope, a confidence of an eternal hope, it requires us to go through some dark times. Because it's in the easy times that we don't really need to grasp eternal hope. So I pray that in those dark times, we would, Lord, we would rely on your wisdom, your, your spiritual guidance, to find a, a solid footing to stand on. We need you. We need you so much, Lord. I pray that the testimony of baptism this morning would encourage others to do the same thing. Lord, I pray that your word, your your Bible, the, the, the preaching of the word this morning would encourage those who need to give their life over to you to actually do it. I pray that those who know of you this morning would know you. Lord, as we sing a praise song to you, I pray that we would respond in the impression of the Holy Spirit as you've given our heart eyes to see and understand, that we would respond to that Holy Spirit tugging on our soul. In Jesus' holy name.